Thanks for tuning in. We're Ace Comicals. I have with me my co-host Rahul Chani and Leon Everett. I'm Brent Driver. Let's get started. to Ace Comicals number 28. Uh, I'm joined by the usual suspects. That is Leon and Ray. Um, we made it. We made it to the second month of 2018. January's over. It felt like a thousand years. Sat in my attic space reading comics by the light of my space heater because I'm freezing. Also, I do this by choice because it's nicer than having the actual lights on and feels like a candlelight or fire. But I digress. So let's move onwards. So what have you guys been up to? Uh, this week is um, it's been very consumed by uh, work as you do, but also a, a bit of anime, a bit a bit of fighting anime. Fighting anime? Would that be Dragon Ball by any chance? Uh, yes, very much so. You could say it's Dragon Ball Fighters with a Z at the end. So we spoke about this briefly last week, but um, yeah, a bunch of us got a, a lobby together and. Uh, we're playing until quite late on Friday, and it was uh, good fun. Good fun yes. checking out each other's squads and going head-to-head and learning. It felt like the good old Xbox Live days where we had have a big lobby and we'd just be playing Street Fighter for hours and hours. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I'm not I'm not the only one. Was I, was I Rahul? Yeah, somehow I uh, convinced myself to pick this up as well, and in the process, having only had it for, like, less than a week. Um, I should point out, this is, like, the first fighting game I've played uh in maybe a decade like i think the last one might have been tech and tag or something um but yeah i picked this up and then immediately went out and bought a six button joypad realized it wasn't for me and i'm waiting for a fight stick to come in the post so i like i dove right in <laughs> um and following picking up dragon ball fighters i started watching dragon ball as well um which i gather is something that's been happening to a lot of people who've picked up this this game because it's a, such a good introduction to one fighting games and to the, the you know like the lore of dragon ball so uh, i feel like i'm not the only one yeah it's um if you've never watched dragon ball or dragon ball z i guess it's a good primer hmm. and a way to sort of get you started on it which is nice it's like an entry point a jumping on point which we talk about a lot here um i um I picked this game up as well, and yes, I was part of of said lobby, said lobby that lasted until two thirty, three o'clock, or something silly like that. That's when I left, anyway. Um, but it was it was great. I was like eleven years old again. Um, some of the conversations that you used to have, like I used to have with my little brother about Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that, about what characters would do against other characters and and how that would play out and things, and and it, it's all there in front of me now. I mean, there's been other Dragon Ball fighting games, but nothing as nicely polished as this i think i think this this is like as far as dragon ball fighting games go this has been the best one yeah i i think the balance that it has between easy onboarding so even if you've not really played much uh, beat-em-ups like uh, rahul it's easy they, they've put a lot of uh good sort of auto combos and uh, easy execution um things in there so you can quickly jump in even if you know don't know who who the hell anybody is and then for us who sort of grew up with it we just get to geek out over this realization of uh, getting to play all these characters that we've like grown up loving but mm. in a way that feels super uh respectful and faithful to it i think it's it's just the perfect intersection of all of that they've really nailed it with this game and it's early days for all of us so far but it's uh it's, it seems like it's uh lit a fire indeed it is lit <laughs> so um the other thing i've been doing this week is reading comics obviously by light of space heater as i've mentioned already <laughs> It sounds depressing, but really it's not that depressing. It's actually something I do by choice. <laughs> but anyway, um, straight into the stack, uh, which brings me to my first book, which is a book called Vinegar Teeth, which was published on Dark Horse. So Dark Horse published this one. Um, we have the writer Damon Gentry, artist Troy Nixie, a colorist named Guy Major, and the cover artist is Troy Nixie, so he's a main artist and cover artist for the cover I bought anyway. Um, now, 
Dark Horse website describes this as Lovecraft meets Lethal Weapon. Which, I can see that, yeah. Um, It's a noir detective buddy story featuring another worldly eldritch beast that the world just decides to accept. Um, It's a comedy set to the backdrop of a 1920s, 30s cityscape, like kind of, you know, noir style. Uh, It's called Brick City. Um, and we have this alcoholic detective called Artie, uh, and um, the book actually opens with um, you've got a, a scene of Artie sitting in court, like drunk out of his skull, and uh, you also see um, <clears throat> one of the first things you see in the book is this portal to this otherworldly plane open, and some crazy wretched beast land in the reservoir and then spit eggs everywhere one of these eggs ends up being the namesake of the book uh vinegar teeth um and yeah it's just it's just great fun uh it's re- it's it's like i think i think it's the it revels in its own silliness actually as a concept and i really like that i like how silly it is and and that it knows it's silly um, it, this uh, this creature, Vinegar Teeth, ends up getting involved um, in an undercover bust or sting operation that's going on that Artie is also part of. And Artie is somewhat upstaged by Vinegar Teeth, who happens to be nearby and eats the perp that they're after. Um, and because of this, the city love him, hail, is, hail him as a hero and make him a cop like no questions asked about his origin or about like um his appearance or anything like that you know like this this big horrible tentacle beast thing just standing there on a podium next to the mayor receiving a badge and everyone's just cheering away no one you know it's like no one's scared of him at all and it's um the way they do this with the artwork as well because it's like this extreme caricature an expression type stuff. Uh, it's like gross out artwork. Um, so you've got like close up face panels um, showing. There's a great one actually, sort of early on in the book, a close up face panel that shows how drunk Artie is in court with like various fluids leaking out of various holes on his face. And um, some of the interesting things they do in this book as well with speech bubbles where they will reduce a sound or a smell simply to a picture of a skull. Or something like that, because it's it's got this whole kind of like gross out sort of over overlay over the whole thing, which I really really like. Uh, you read this as well, didn't you, Ray? I did. Yeah, um, I sort of read it. <laughs> so I picked it up, flicked through it, and really dug the artwork. It's got this kind of like Steve Purcell, um, like nineties gross bubbly comic uh, cartoon style to it, which really vibed with me. But then I and I got into it first page. And immediately it's speaking my language. And that language is just an entire page of people saying blah, 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 blah. Like literally just blah. Like there's no actual words. It's just people spitting out speech bubbles that have blah, 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 blah. Which is exactly how I see uh, an initial comic book page, which is just full of English words. Um, So I like... Oh, sorry. May I just interject there, actually? Yeah. I was going to say that that first page where it's all blah, 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 is interesting as well because we know that the character whose eyes we are supposed to be seeing this through is drunk. So everything that's being said is probably passing right over his head anyway. And he's just sitting there vegging out with his hip flask, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) See, I I didn't catch that, but that makes a lot more sense now that you pointed it out. (laughs) Um, um, But yeah, I, so I kept flicking through it and I had this thing where I wasn't really like, gelling with what was actually happening so i got to the end of the comic i was like i didn't understand what happened in this weird ass comic so i started again and again it didn't like i didn't really take on the language and the words and stuff and it wasn't really connecting but i read it three times so there's got to be something to it um and like i like the thing that you mentioned about like they don't acknowledge what or who or why vinegar teeth is what it is um and it kind of (laughs) it reminded me in a weird way of like star wars but by way of lovecraft because it's like, here's this guy who's... Here's this thing that's um, captured a bunch of criminals. Give him a medal and a job. You know, just like apropos of nothing. Um, it adds to the whole surreal vibe of the, the entire story, I think. I, 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 I like it. I want to see where it goes. But I wish it had a bit more... Um, maybe direction or just maybe a synopsis to tell me what I was getting into. Because 
um, like the character of Vinegar Teeth itself is kind of formless and hard to understand. So I didn't really always get an idea of what it was doing on a panel to panel basis. But apart from that, I, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. But that's that's the whole point of the Lovecraftian design, isn't it? It's formless and difficult to understand and otherworldly. And like even even the way Lovecraft used to write it, he used to write things as indescribable. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because so, it works really well. Yeah, um, but it doesn't make me any less confused when I'm reading it. I I love this just just for how bombastic and silly it was. To be honest, it's like just because it's just so like it's so. It revels in its own ridiculousness. I admire how much it just dives into that because everything is silly. The people are silly. The way they they're presented is silly. Like the the way that like everybody's outlines can just wobble and um, like royal, like they're being boiled in a pot kind of thing. Like yeah. I like that whole vibe. And to to flip between all these very silly concepts with so much confidence is really cool. Um, I think I need to give it a few more to, to like really make my mind up on it. I didn't love it, but I definitely liked it. I, I've added it to my standing order already. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Who's it yeah. by? Sorry? Dark Horse Comics. And the writer is a fellow named Damon Gentry. Uh, artist is Troy Nixie. Colorist is Guy Major. It, it's, I, think, I think it's a great first issue, and I think it's a great opener into the world that it seeks to present and seeks to describe. Um it is it is kind of like a waking dream slash nightmare in the way that when you read through it, it it has that kind of quality to it that it's um because it's so madcap and because it's so um i can understand why you might feel that some of it feels disjointed and disconnected when you're reading it right i can i can totally see that like like in a, in a waking dream kind of way but mm. i um i actually like upon reading it and then putting it down and then thinking about it and then flicking through it a second time uh, without actually reading it, reading it, just just flicking through the pages just to get another sense of the events and in which order they take place. I actually, you know, connecting the dots is actually really easy and it's actually a really simple story. Yeah, to be fair, I don't, um, I'm not saying that it's um, like an entire negative against the thing. Yeah. The fact that it even made me go back and skim through its pages a couple of times mm. to, to, to get a sense of the, yeah. um, the progression is actually, I think that's a pretty good plus in its favor. Mm. Um, also, uh, one of the things that I loved about it was that it gave me an excuse to use silly French voices out loud. Um, <laughs> there's a, <laughs> Au revoir, silly cop. Like <laughs> anything that gets gives me an excuse to do that in the comfort of my own private room, that's 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 cool. Oh, you do that too, do you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? That's 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 the whole point of reading comics by yourself in a dark room. Yeah, I used to do that with um, Gambit in X Men comics. I used to read in his Cajun accent. <laughs> it's it's terrible, and we should probably stop. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I then know. if you put it in, if you put it in, especially written phonetically to be a silly French voice, I'm gonna say it out loud. Yeah, yeah. Not that French voices are actually silly, but you know. Mm. Um, so I guess bringing up X Men moves me on to my second book. Um, so this is one that I read. Um, I don't know if you, you don't think you guys, either of you guys picked it up, but I was, I was into this because it's the the um, the resurgence of a um, a long time X Men character. Uh, he is the son of Charles Xavier, and he's had his own TV show. Hang uh, on, which is, which comic is this? This is David Harlow. This is Legion. Legion, right? Okay. Yeah. So um, he's the son of Charles Xavier. He's had his own TV show recently, uh, and now he's got a, a comic again. Um, and it's a, a short but sweet thing because I think it's only a five-parter. Yes, it is only a five-parter, and. Um, so just a little bit of background in case some of you may not know who Legion is or may not. He's the son of Charles Xavier. He's a powerful mutant with multiple personalities. Each personality is another dangerous mutant power as well. So he's from from one to the next. He's a completely different um, quantity. Uh, a new personality in this book has manifested and is seeking to take over his body by consuming all the other personalities. Um, and this is David trying to seek help 
from a renowned psychotherapist with demons of her own uh, named Hannah Jones, who is a super successful young girl who grew up on the East on an East London council estate, uh, according to the comic. And um, she's now a famed psychotherapist to the stars. Um, and most of it focuses on th- this first issue focuses on David's journey across um, different state across the states, of the, across the US uh, to try and reach um this psychotherapist and um his attempts to communicate with her before getting to her using his psychic powers the art is really minimalist which i think is quite cool and flat colors um with considered use of lines actually helps because i can see how a more detailed art style with this book would probably just overcomplicate the panels especially with some of the things that are going on and some of the things that they're trying to get across and put forward so somebody talking to himself for example um and multiple personalities manifesting in different ways be that via hallucination or in a mirror or something like that could get quite confusing if it weren't so um i can see how it would get quite confusing if the book were more uh add more to to realism i guess is the way i can put it um it's um it is definitely a good aesthetic choice for a book like this and i like the way actually that his multiple personalities are handled each one has a vocal quirk or a quirk with a speech bubble or an accent or a language again going on what ray was saying about french accents uh one of his personalities speaks french so um it's uh it's, it's kind of like a, a similar thing there where they write it out in french or with a french accent um it makes it nice and easy to actually to follow to understand who's talking when because obviously with these like different personalities in his head when there's a conversation going on with david and himself or david and one of his other personalities you've actually got a way to differentiate who's talking when because there's a different quirk with each speech bubble or a different accent or a different um a different language in some cases um and it's a really nice touch. Uh, and um, the story is quite a fresh feeling about it in the way that it handles the mental illness. Because I know um, in some books or in some uh, in some media where madness is presented, um, it's presented in a, a certain way, a certain fashion um, when, when mental illness is presented in, in media. And... I think it kind of misses the point because it, it's, you know, it, it's like this sort of, the sort of stereotypical I'm crazy trope heart, you know, like the, the sort of um, disjointed giggle and things like that, that go with it and everything else. But this, the way this does it is like, um, it's fresh in the way that he, it, 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 the way it handles his mental illness and each one of these personalities presented as a different person and that he actually just wants to seek help and he just wants respite from it all. And he doesn't want to hurt people. It's not the stereotypical comic depiction of crazy in inverted commas, if if I can say that. Um, and I think it's really good and I'm, I'm excited and I'm also a little bit sad that it's only going to be five issues long, to be honest. Um, and I recommend that you two probably pick it up. Do I need to have watched or like, for example, we've talked about how I haven't watched the Legion TV show. Would that be necessary to be to get into this comic or would reading this first be better? You know, would help me segue to the TV show, if anything? Um, uh... I would read the book because yeah. the TV show is a very while it's based on uh, like Legion from the books and all that. Mm-hmm. It's very much a, a Noah Hawley show doing it own thing in 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 ways it's not you you won't recognize the book watching the show yeah right and you won't recognize the show watching reading the book if i if i would put that vice versa because Hmm. um this this book as well actually the the old one of the alt covers for it was um it was basically the promo work for the artwork for the tv show so if you've ever seen a poster or any promo artwork for the tv show that was the front cover of the of the comic the old the alternate cover um but that's cool i mean i get but i guess i guess when you open the book if you buy it off off having watched the tv show when you open this book there's going to be a big disconnect because Hmm. it's it's not anything like the show in that way i don't think 
Um, it doesn't... I assume this one's going to be more sort of X Men slash comicy AF, while the show was more its own sort of island. Yes, mm. yeah, indeed, yeah. The show the show goes in a certain direction, I believe, and, and presents things in a certain way and has a certain aesthetic and air about it that this this won't have. So I I mean it, you can read one independent of the other, Ray. You don't need to have. Um, you don't need to know one to know the other. And also, you mm. don't need to know anything about Legion to pick this book up either. You don't have to have read other Legion X-Men stories. Or you don't have to have... Uh, you don't have to know the history. Okay, that's encouraging. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing that, that stuck out to me, the, the thing that makes me want to pick it up is how you said it has a, a more nuanced depiction of mental illness than you yeah. normally find in comics. Yeah. Is it trying to be... Um, maybe not educational, but is it trying to to have that kind of thing where it's teaching? I, I don't know if teaching is the right word. Trying to pull away from um, these very one note depictions of mental illness by having a bit of what's the word usually on like didactic writing to it. Yes, is, is that the kind of thing it's going for? It, it has that a little bit. Um... Like there's there's some lines in it where they refer to different disorders, mm. uh, with when with like somebody's having a conversation with the psychotherapist and she's like, oh, we haven't called it that since the mid '90s or something like that, you know. Oh, okay. So it's yeah, it I is think... it is it is kind of doing that in a way, and I like that it's doing that. I like that it's it's actually got this um this this less stereotypical, more balanced view of mental illness, and I think it's a good thing. Because mm. yeah, it sounds that sounds cool. Because I mean, there's a lot a lot of misunderstanding of mental illness that goes on in the world. I think, I think a lot of people um, misunderstand what it means to suffer from such a disorder or such a, you know, it, so it's, um, I think, yeah, I like think con- conflating different issues or putting lots of things yeah. under the same umbrella. And, exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of misinformation, yeah. especially with um, uh, like David Haller's sort of um, uh, his condition where it, it's very big in sort of genre stories to play on the whole um, like DID, uh, Dissociative Identity Disorder, mm. as a, like a character trope because you get to uh, split the personality of mm. a character and, and examine them mentally. But because it's been such a crutch, there's a lot of um, just general uh, nonsense um, mm. and that feeds into the general stigma that we as a society have to people with um, varying ranges of, of mental illness. So it, yeah, it's, it's one of those awkward things where we have these characters who, with these characters who have um, these things historically, it's interesting now to uh, um, like delve in and put a, a new like modern lens on there mm. where it's not just, Oh, this person's crazy. Instead mm. it's more um, getting into the, um, the minutia or yeah. um, adding extra details and putting, putting a human face on it. Because at the end of the day, it's still going to be a comic book story. Yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting to sort of go back to a character who, who has historically, this is part of them. And, uh, from what it sounds like, take a, a different a different angle to look at. And I don't know if if you found this as well previously, but other um, dep- when there's been depictions of mental illness previously in comics or or in other media, it's um, it's always been that they've the the the, uh, the sufferer has been adverse to help mm. or has fought yeah. help instead of seeking it. Which in this, he's actually seeking help. So I quite like that. Moving on from there, I will go into a book named Abbott, which is published uh, by Boom Studios. Um, this is one that we were excited about on the cast, actually. It's one that we've been, we've sort of um, talked about in previous episodes uh, as a uh, as something that we're looking forward to or as something that has made the poll list. Um, and the uh, writer is uh, Saladin Ahmed. Uh, the artist is a Sami Kivela. And uh, the cover artist for this his first issue is a um, Thai tenfold. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. T A J. So is that Thai? Could be Taj. Sorry if we've got your name wrong. Um, this um, this book is uh, it, I think it's one that all three of us read, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is indeed. 
and the best way to describe this is that it's uh, it, it centers around a black female reporter in the 1972 civil rights era detroit um reporter's name is elena abbott and she has been called to a mutilated horse a mounted police paddock as part of her job as a reporter she's been sent there to sort of get the scoop and take photos um and you you instantly get the sense of uh, what she does and what she she is as a reporter in the fact that she's um she's she's having to push back and fight back against the uh the sort of establishment and the established way of doing things in in the way that as soon as she walks into when we see in the comic panels as soon as she walks into the barn every other reporter is a a white male and wants to blame the Black Panthers for what's happened. Even though this is not their MO at all, according to um, other characters in the book. And actually there's something else about this mutilated horse, something almost supernatural, which is then, we, we learn more about that later in the book, So, and I, I don't want to spoil it. So I'm not going to talk too much about that. Um, I love the way that this book opens in the, in the way that it sets the scene. Um, the first page, it's kind of like a, um, it's strange because it's like a, a, a collage of um, uh, newspaper articles and imagery sort of setting the scene of 1972 Detroit and also setting the mood with what what some of these articles are and and you've got some of these articles uh fictional because it's uh articles that are written by Eleanor Abbott the main character of the story um and although she's a um a reporter she actually behaves more like a hard-boiled detective which I really like about this as well um and she has this um this kind of this this uh obsession with routine which I think is going to become important later on because it it's uh, something that, that in her words keeps out the chaos and she's she's like this really tough sort of hard-boiled reporter and i like it i really do like it um so what are your thoughts on this guys ray yeah uh to go back to that initial like opening page that you mentioned where it's the the collage of her newspaper articles i really like that the way it's presented it's like this symmetrical um like angular thing which could almost be like an insignia for a superhero if if it was a superhero comic and it's got like um, the letters MI for Michigan with what looks like a roadmap in the middle. It just, it's just really clever. I like, I like what it is, but we don't see that again, like this kind of panel construction, like very abstract type collection of imagery, um, which I'd like to see more of, but again, it's just page one. I think, I think it's just I'm fully in- up. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'll let you come. No, go on. ahead. Oh no, I was going to say, I think it's just like an intro, an interesting introduction device. Mm. I hope they yeah I hope they do that in future issues like just to set the scene or to set the tone or something because that that really drew me in straight away um but yeah like you were saying I really I I really dug the character I like everything that it's doing I like these little touches where like you said she walks into a room and like five other white reporters just stare at her and they've all got like a glare on their faces and like you really get a sense of what she's going through um as she's like walking through this world where which is she's constantly battling um people because she's a woman and because she's black and because she's a black woman like you it it kind of colors yeah. every conversation and every interaction that she has um, everything everything she does in the book every time she interacts with a member of the public bar probably two or three interactions it seems mm. to be a it's a fight it's a it's it's altercational Mm. If I can say that word, is that a word? <laughs> I, I get, I get what you mean. And even when she's talking to other women or other people of color, it's still a topic. Like it's still a thing that mm. comes up. And I'm not, I'm not sure if that's part of just what the world was like back then, and what it can still be like now in some ways, um, or whether it's slightly ham-fisted writing. I've not really made my mind up on that. I'd like to give it another read before I sell on how I feel about mm. that. Yeah, um, I've not really seen or read much other media um that centers around this kind of point in time from this kind of point of view so i don't i don't Mm. really know 
whether, as you say, if it is ham-fisted writing or if it was actually like that or not, I don't know. I mean, I know, <laughs> obviously, I, I know enough, but I don't know enough at the same time, if I, if you get what I mean. Um, <laughs> she writes the truth and she prides herself on it, which is another thing that I like. I, like Even against mm. the wishes of her bosses and things, she's just always pushing back. And I did. I, that's what I enjoyed about it. Pushing back in defense of her community as well, because yeah. people yeah. want to seem to, to portray portray it in a bad light mm. which is yeah. very <laughs> apropos of the time i guess yeah. um one of the things i wanted to point out that i really i loved about this comic was there's one particular page where she's fallen into a dream and it it's it turns black and white with like a splash of color mm. um and i just i adored that whole sequence that happens in that page i don't want to spoil what it is and why but i just, yeah. i love i love the artwork in this book that was very good and the the art the artwork is very nice hmm. Uh, Leon, did you read this one? Yeah, I did, and um, yeah, I echo a lot of the sentiments you you guys have had. Um, it has this nice uh, mix of like a good seventies detective story, um, and then because of like the who the character is, it it has like shades of like a black exploitation drama, but minus the salaciousness or uh, like revenge angle, which is quite nice. But um, yeah, it's, it, I think it's a great introduction into uh, an interesting area, um, and it 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 takes what's um, like a general sort of story you set, get a bunch of films like this but it, it adds like this extra sort of genre tinge onto it which is quite nice it it does feel like a good mix of um and i think these were probably um inspirations but like uh Kolchak, the night stalker that tv series or like um more modern uh in some ways like the x-files in terms of uh, someone who is like just dogged and um trying to get to the bottom of um what's going on and the truth and yet like it paints like a real feeling world um and it sets up character relationships um character pasts and histories and character quirks in quite an economical but um interesting way like it doesn't feel like the world began on page one for us mm-hmm. it feels like we've dropped in um and it starts off as business as usual and then things start to take a turn and like the world feels living and breathing as she speaks to people from, um, from different areas, different communities in the city. Um, And how all the complexities of like how it presents the complexities of the post-civil rights era and all these inherent tensions uh, in the seventies, especially in a city like Detroit with, um, because I believe this is a time uh, when uh, white flight was happening, and uh, a lot, a lot of um, white communities uh, were leaving the city for the suburbs, mm-hmm. um, and then the sort of urban centre was um, uh, more African American, and, and then with that, you got. Uh, sort of the standard things you get with these where it's like less investment in things and then you end up with a high crime rate and then the city is the motor city sort of loses its industry and it just becomes um as it is now like um a a dead city in ways and you can sort of see the beginnings of that here which is done really well it does does seem really well researched and um Mm -hmm. i really like the sort of presentation of how you get a real, very real sense of social segregation that you generally, in fiction, you generally more see like southern based, while all that stuff was still happening in, in the north, like New York, Chicago, Detroit. So I like how it's um, presented, and there's like a line which I'll, I'll, I'll like half quote where it's like um, there are two Detroits, uh, one white, one black, um, and hmm. there's this general sense of um, changes. Change has been forced through in the last decade with civil rights movement and, and the passing of uh, things like the the Voting Rights Act and a, a few other things, which have generally pushed the needle back. Um, and at the same time, you're having um, the in the '60s, you were having the uh, feminist movement. Um, so a lot of those things are push, uh, pushed, and then they're in, 
we get we're here at the intersection of a character who is a black woman she's trying to exist in a white man's world um and i think it does it really well like i think going to the point you were saying about the dialogue i think the dialogue is like it feels like it's research it doesn't feel uh like impostery Hmm. but but because you get so much of it up front because it's the first issue of a comic book you do you are kind of left with like how sincere is this and i think it's coming definitely coming from a, a place of uh sincerity and i think it's something that will read better the more issues there are hmm. um but because you're getting introduced to the world um we're getting um, the f- sort of front page of everyone, um, yeah. but there really was, and still is, but there really was um, this constant contention because, like, at any time, like, cops would be coming in, and uh, there'd be police brutality. The certain crimes against uh, people of color just weren't uh, investigated properly, um, and it, it was it was it was a time of like great great unrest uh like politically um but also socially so i, th- I think it, it is dumping you in there and in, in ways because we're looking at this with 2018 eyes um it almost feels like okay we get it we get it but i, I can see what what's being done there and i yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it uh the benefit of the doubt but it, it, it's really it really is nice to sort of have this character who while they are like a black woman and that is a point of contention for other characters around i do like this character does feel fully formed and not like this like avatar or anything like that and yeah has her own uh strengths and weaknesses and um like she's not like this super feminist superhero which would be fine but instead she's got this cool sort of um nuance to her because mm-hmm. um, because there'll be times where in the past where I'll complain on the podcast about how the first issue, like there's nothing there. And I, I don't mean that fully disparagingly, but it's like in these 30 pages or so, like I've just got to take it on faith. Uh, like I don't feel like the world's been constructed properly and mm. characters are talking in a way that is so fast. That I'm just like, how are they at this point already? I don't really feel invested yet. I feel like this comic doesn't really have that issue for me. It, it, like the first issue feels I kind of feel like confident in what the comic is in a way while knowing there's other mysteries and, and such and I think that it's a good combination of like Ahmed's writing and uh, Kevella's uh, illustrations where they've managed to pull us into this world and I guess part of that maybe is because it's a historical piece set in the past um, and in real life well mm. sort of in real life so there's a lot to draw on where you already have sort of that built in, um, uh, like the, in terms of world building, it's not like they need to introduce what the laws of physics are in this world or anything like that. Mm. But I don't know. It felt I, like getting to the end. I didn't feel like, okay, I've had half a comic. I did get a thing of, okay, this is chapter one. I'm interested to see what happens in chapter two. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I quite liked it. And, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. It feels complete. Yeah, as, just as to follow that, issue. like, I hit page number 24 and thought it was a double spread issue. Like, I thought I'd written, uh, read twice that much. It was quite dense, but not not cloyingly so. Like, I didn't feel frustrated by the end of it. I wanted more. Mm. Um, but I, like you said, I feel like it has fully fleshed out this world. I'm surprised at how much exposition it got across without sounding ham-fisted. So I think the little instances that were just uh, stuck out to me. Yeah, and I think that's just because of the time that it's trying to depict... Yeah, said. maybe, and not, not, yeah. not, yeah, because I, I think, as Leon said, it is coming from a sincere place, and and I really, I'm really into this story. I'm really invested now, actually, just after the first issue, mm. um, and I, I know we say this a lot, but this is something that I can see being adapted to TV as well. You know, yeah, definitely. Like the um, the opening page you guys are talking about with the cool, cool image, cool panel layout. That is like the comic book representation of the over opening credits 
sort of montage you'd get and we'd get all these shots of like 70s Chicago, the streets, the buildings. Yeah. We might even get some news reports and like TV reports mixed in it. It feels like that. And you'd have like a, a 70s uh, hit, uh, probably like uh, Motown or something playing over yeah. the intro um, as the names come up. Like I, I got that just from looking at the page. Hmm. Or it, it actually reminded me, like made me think of, you know, when you see um, some old films, uh, where they show you the headlines in the press and you can see the printing press going in the background and it just flings the headlines at the TV screen <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> with the dramatic yeah, yeah. music going in the background yeah that kind of that kind of feel as well but yeah I get what you mean yeah you can you can imagine that and and I think it would work quite nicely as a TV show that one so if anyone if anyone's looking for a property to pick up <laughs> Um, and adapt into a uh, a new TV show that people will love. There you go. Um, moving on from there is another one that I only I read, and I'm not going to talk about this too much because I've talked about it a lot previously uh, as a comic, and it's another one that kind of has like a 70s air about it, uh, but in a different way, in a grindhouse, gritty, violent, sci-fi way. Um, and it is called Space Riders, Galaxy of Brutality. And we have issue four, which is the conclusion of this arc, which we've been waiting for for a while. And I'm glad it's because it's it's fantastic. Um, such a ride, such a joy ride is this comic. Um it's hyper violent hyper vivid beautifully beautifully psychedelic um and it is an epic conclusion to the story it's it's as i've said it's like sci-fi with a filthy grindhouse flavor and it has this real gritty violent toughness about it which coupled with the utterly ridiculous and 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 uh concepts that it brings up like utterly out there um and you know borderline indescribable in their um in their in uh scale concepts that this this book plays with it's fantastic uh and the the final battle and the way it's all illustrated is just so beautiful with all this like uh all of the, these like popping neon colors on a black background because we're in the backdrop of space we're in space and there's all these like sort of popping high you know like neon blues and yellows and pinks and reds and it's just absolutely gorgeous i just love it it's so psychedelic and such a fun read um and that is uh alexis Sirit and rangel junior ferrier they're they're your uh you guys on this book um rangel junior is the uh writer and Zirit is the artist um and it's Sirit's artwork that i love so much it's these fantastic bold black lines in this really kind of old school style, but with like all of these kind of flash psychedelic colours and the gritty overtones and everything else and just how completely, um, just the scale of it, just how completely vast it goes. It's great. Yeah, the art looks really, really cool. It is, it is. It's a real joyride. It's a real trip. Definitely one to pick up. I, I love this book. And I hope, I hope they continue on and bring us some more. But I don't know if this, if the way this ends, I don't know if they can carry on from there, if there's anywhere they can go. But I, I, I hope they can, because definitely bittersweet reading that, definitely. And that was Space Riders, Galaxy of Brutality, which I'm sure will soon be out in trade. So you guys should definitely pick that up. And that is uh, Black Mass Comics. And I guess that brings us on to our final book which is one again that we've all been looking forward to and that we've all wanted to read for quite a while since we've learned of its existence and this is another one published on dark horse this is the first uh well one of the first titles to come onto the berger books imprint which is karen berger who um she was kind of the founder of vertigo comics wasn't she uh and now she's moved on to do this um, and this is a book called Hungry Ghosts. Um, the writer is uh, a chef by trade, uh, Anthony Bourdain. And uh, Ray, 
I believe this one was uh, this what this one was one that you were very much looking forward to and brought to our attention. So, do you want to take the lead on this one? Yeah, sure. So, this is one that we both talked about in um, episode number twenty six as something we were looking forward to in twenty eighteen. Uh, so, Hungry Ghosts number one, as you said, written by the chef Anthony Bourdain and Joel Rose. I don't know if he's a chef, um, but definitely a writer. Uh, Artist for this is Alberto Ponticelli. um, And I think Alberto did the the art for two of the stories in this anthology book. And there was also Vanessa Del Rey who did um, the final story. Uh, Colours are by Jose Villarubia. Letters by Sal Cipriano. And the cover art for this one is by Paul Pope. Um, So we went over this before uh, in episode 26 about how it's... An anthology series all based around the Japanese parlor game of Hyakumono Gatari Kaidankai, which they go on to explain in this book. Um, but it's essentially a series of horror stories. And what Anthony Bourdain and Joel Rose have done with this one is take this concept and apply it to food. So it's going to be um, reimagined classic stories of monsters, spirits and transformed beings, all tainted with this common thread of food. Um so what we get in this one is the initial framing device of um, a Russian mobster um, who's introduced or uh, has hired uh, eight chefs to host a party for him. And then at the end of the meal, he uh, brings in this concept of the, the Kaidan game, where you walk into a room uh, full of 100 candles, tell a scary story. And then after you finish telling the story, you look into a mirror that um, just to double check that you haven't been overtaken by a spirit and extinguish one candle. And you do this over and over again. And as the room gets darker and darker, as all the candles go out. Um, So in this one, we get basically two initial stories, uh, one of which is uh, the starving skeleton, a cautionary tale about helping the needy um, and the pirates about a, uh, a woman who's been thrown into the sea and then rescued by pirates and what they uh want from her for in return for their rescue um yeah so it's going to be an anthology series um and what i really liked about this was like again talking about initial opening pages because i'm a sucker for really good opening pages this one is a cracker like it's it's basically a the a demon woman who is addressing the audience uh, addressing the reader um, and explaining, do you know what the Hyako Monogatari Kaidankai is? Um, and she's sat uh, in her in her robe with her scary fingernails and lipstick, and in the mirror you can see her true reflection as as a like demonic entity. As she's surrounded by all these candles and like traditional Japanese horror masks and you know skulls and all this other um, arcane stuff <laughs> around her, it's really cool. Like, wh- what did you guys think of it? Um, I really liked it. And yeah, that first page was fantastic. It's, it's like um, the creepy spirit kind of inviting you into the book. I love it. And and I love the fact that she's a recurring design throughout panels in the book. So she just yeah. pops up here and there in different panels. <laughs> um, and I think she's going to become more important later on. Um, yeah, it's it's an anthology of short horror stories, but the connection being the players of the game. Um the artwork in the first story is nice in its realism, but when I compare it to other books, it's quite standard for this day and age, I believe. In the yeah, world. I think yeah. that uh, initial page is a little bit misleading in yeah. some ways, because uh, I agree with that. I think the rest of it is a little bit... not. I think pedestrian might be a bit too harsh, but it is it's, it's standard comic fare. Yeah, it's what yeah. you've come to expect. And what you were saying about the uh, the the um the chefs just to harken back to that i think actually i mean you get the idea that he might have gotten his money uh through less than savory actions but i don't mm. know if he's a mobster per se or just an ugly arc and um right yeah and you've got the um the other members of the, the sort of like the uh the chefs and everything else they were they were he won a competition he won a a, a a charity bid so they were bidding on the chefs for charity. So it's like a charity thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. So they were mm. like, you know, um, I think is the idea anyway. Um, mm. And I mean, some of the artwork in that first, the first story, especially these, the uh, towards the end of the first story, when we get to see, I'm not going to spoil it. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and some of the use of onomatopoeia is actually quite interesting. I quite like it. And I, I will say this for it, for the artwork, as although it is pretty standard fare, I believe, for this day and age where comics are concerned, there's some really nice uh, work with shadows and things like that. Hmm. And the way they so put ta- shadow into it. So, um, and yeah, I, no, love, I agree. Yeah, I love the way that the stories are divided. Uh, so before the introduction to each story, you have a um, a splash page, which is uh, a, a bunch of tea lights against a black background. I don't know if you did um, what your thoughts on that are. Oh, and the the, the yeah the, page the, the, the sort of dividers the... between each page. Yeah, the, the story breaks. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's I like, quite like that. Yeah, like really grainy photograph. Um, yeah. and then the subtitle underneath it. Uh, to, to touch back on what you said about onomatopoeia, I think one of the things I really liked about this first story, the, uh, the mm. what was it called? Um, the Hungry Skeleton, the Starving Skeleton. Yeah. Um, it uses Japanese onomatopoeia, yes. but written in English, so yes. gachi gachi, which means like teeth chattering, um, like in the cold. I like, I like that touch. I, mm. I hope they do more of that kind of thing, because that's one thing that I... I was fascinated with when reading manga back when I was studying Japanese was just how how abstract onomatopoeia is when you don't know the language that it comes mm. from. It's like we have so many onomatopoeias in English which sound really obvious and we should, you know, like we inherently learn what they mean, but there's so many in Japanese which are repeated sounds like gachi gachi, guru guru, furu furu, or those kind of things. Doki doki, and that kind of stuff. Doki doki, yeah. If you don't know what it is, then you, I guess you, you don't know what it is. And it gives, is, this is going to be another reason to dive back into one of those websites which has a, like a compendium of all of the sound effects in Japanese. Mm. So that, that was cool. In fact, actually, if you've got that website, it might be interesting to put that into the show notes. Yeah, it's the uh, the jadednetwork.com uh, yeah. forward slash SFX. Yes. Um, what I what I enjoyed about the fact, like you mentioned, they were putting the uh, Japanese onomatopoeia in there and the, uh, the, the sort of, the way the horror is framed, because it is very Japanese horror stories as well. Hmm. They're very Japanese style horror stories in the fact that it's things that, the th- things in Japanese horror stories that, that people, that, that are creepy and that are, you know the the creepiness is done very differently like the the noise of chattering teeth isn't something you'd associate with western horror for example hmm. but it, it, when you think about the noise of chattering teeth it's actually really unsettling yeah. and it, it's it's a really really nice um nice way to kind of get a, a rise out of your reader i think hmm. i do like this whole thing about a specific monster to punish a specific crime yeah as well yeah yeah and the noise of chattering teeth sort of creeping mm. up on him as he walks through the streets. I love that. Yeah. Which makes a lot, of, which has like a double or even triple meaning when yeah. you, when you see the reveal. So mm. yeah, I don't want to spoil that. Uh, the second story, the artwork is very, um, it's almost like an oil painting. It's like painted or chalk. Well, this um, is the one that was done by Vanessa Del Rey as mm. opposed to the previous, which was Alberto yeah. Ponticelli. And I love, uh, I, lo- I love the sort of the, the bold lines on it and the and i think the artwork very much fits very very much fits the aesthetic that they're going for with the pirates and the, the time that they're trying to depict hmm. um i really do like it um and the story itself is quite quite amusing as well especially towards the end <laughs> not uh, as much grotesque horror as i was kind of expecting yeah. from this story yeah but nonetheless still still pretty entertaining and cringeworthy in the, in the best way mm, definitely yeah i love it um so in in short for the first two stories i think this is very good and i think it's a very good book uh, and i'm quite impressed with it actually i was quite impressed with the artwork especially in the second well i was impressed with the artwork especially in the second story um and uh, i was impressed with the way that they um it's kind of kind of like a, a moral or allegorical edge to it as well isn't there hmm yeah and i i, I get I guess what they're doing is they're taking these these established monsters, like these classical stories from mm. Japanese mythology, and yeah. bringing them into the modern day. And I'm I'm all for that. Like I like I like anything which reintroduces me to a different culture's understanding of a genre. And yes. so I'm I'm hoping that yeah, they, I'm, I'm assuming they will continue with that. So I'll, I'll I'm on board for this. And uh, the other reason that I like the second story is because Vanessa Del Rey is the artist on Redlands as well. Oh no way! And that, really? and that kind that kind of shows um, in the in in the way this story plays out. Actually, 
oh, cool. um, because it's it's a very it's a, it's the kind of thing that I could see happening in a Redlands comic, <laughs> 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 which I really like. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, I'll just uh, I agree with what you guys have said. Um, I think the concept is really really cool, and um, touching on what you guys were saying regarding it being sort of a good sort of mix between like the West and East. I think it handles that stuff in an interesting way where like um, sometimes you can run into issues with that, where it just feels like uh, cultural tourism, Mm -hmm. but it feels like um, there's an affection and uh, a level of research that uh, has been put in to the stories. So it'll be interesting to, uh, see how they build that up into whatever they're building it up into. Uh, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure on how I feel it so feel about it so far because I do think that the setup is really cool and having people come up one by one to tell the stories and blow out. I think that that uh, framing device is uh, creepy in, in 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 a very good way. Though it at the for the first issue it feels quite broad like. I mean, as it's necessary that the stories are mega short, um, but they they feel like we have a lot of like horror stories and such. It, it feels like like there's usually a, a bit of a done done reveal, and the yeah. ones with this don't really feel that they just feel like. And then this crazy thing happened. Uh, it doesn't really feel like lined up as well with the the main theme of the story in a way like it does, but in a very broad way. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping future stories are a, a bit more, uh, I don't know, not really innovative, but, uh, a, a more, more interesting, I guess. Um, like, like the twists and turns are a bit more seeded in, in the theme of the story. But, Why? Um, oh, sorry. Continue. No, I was just gonna say because like they're cool, like nuggets of ideas, but they don't really feel. They feel like it's just they just happen. No, I do agree with that. Um, and while it doesn't make for an excellent book overall, I think it kind of works in the context of the story. Um, if only because imagine if you were one of these chefs who's been dragged out and suddenly been made to tell a horror story, and like the first guy's like. Uh, I guess there was a guy who uh, refused to help a guy in need, and then the guy died. Like, it, like that whole bum bum. I I think it makes it kind of works in this context. Um, I, I'm not really defending it. I just I liked that it was so short and stupid in in its own way. Yeah, having to riff something on the fly. Hmm. Yeah. And especially as the stories are supposed to get more and more creepy as they go along, yeah. it, which again, it's not it's not an amazing way to tell. Uh, it's not an amazing way to construct a book because you want everything to be interesting from the get go. But if this was real life and you wanted to tell like a basic story, that would be one of the first type to come up, I think. Hmm. Especially if you were you were put on the spot and made to go first mm. and had to think of something <laughs> on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which maybe we're defending it falsely, but like yeah. it's it's yeah. an interesting point to bring up. And one of the things that we haven't mentioned is because Anthony Bourdain being a chef, um I can really feel like he's in the uh, in the framing device where it's all the chefs hanging around after having finished their meal. Um are just hanging around smoking and chatting shit about the kind of people that they've served in the past. I feel like that must be drawing from personal experience and that's yeah. kind of nice to see. 100%, yeah. Definitely. And so, does anybody have anything else left to say? No, not on not on any more comics. I've read all the comics. If we exhausted our collective stack for this week, yeah, I, feel... I believe we have. So <laughs> now we can move on to what we're looking forward to in the future, as in next week and the week after, in Rahul's case. And this is the pull list. <laughs> so, Ray, what's on your pull list? Right, so previously mentioned something called Twisted Bromance in our uh, episode number 26, um, something to look forward to. So it's, again, anthology stories about um, tales of romance gone wrong. Uh, it sounds interesting. So there's it, uh, this is going to be a weekly one. So there'll be one out on the 7th of Feb when this episode is airing, and there'll be one the week after as well. Um, 
And then also on the 7th of Feb, we've got uh, Mech Cadet U number 6, which is returning after a hiatus. And then there's also something called Songs for the Dead, which is by Vault Comics, which is a new, a relatively new publishing company, which I've been keeping my eye on lately. Um, and I don't know anything about this, apart from the fact that the cover has a woman holding a lantern at the edge of a cliff. There's a flying squirrel ghost and then a kid standing behind them with an arrow in his eye. So hmm. like, it's got all the elements that I'm looking forward to. Um, and then so for the week after, uh, 14th of Feb, there's the new Kick-Ass run. There's the new Lockjaw, and there's also Mr. Miracle Director's Cut number one coming out, which I'm not 100% sure how I feel about the Director's Cut stuff, but I do I do want to see what they... In this particular comic, I want to see the behind-the-scenes stuff, so I, I probably will pick that up. So mine are all um, for the 7th of February. Um, I haven't gone that far into the future yet but uh these are all things that i'm looking forward to from the 7th of february so we have the uh second issue of exit stage left the snagglepuss chronicles which is very very good and once i've read issue two um i believe i'll be more of a position to discuss it on the podcast which i really want to do because it's a very good book um scales and scoundrels number six which ah every time one of these comes out it's just i love it it's just a really nice it just a, a a brief however many page jump into a gorgeously illustrated world that is so different from our world and is a really nice little escape i love that book um there's one i'm looking forward to which is called verses um which starts next week and that is on image comics um next week being 7th of february which is when this actually releases so so yeah we've got versus number one on image comics which is a um kind of like a, it's, it's, it's a book set in the future where soldiers are kind of like reality show superstars i think is the best way to put it and people watch them for entertainment people watch wars for entertainment find a better description for you guys actually better than so yeah war has become a spectator sport this is directly from the image website privately funded armies of superstar soldiers march into battle for fame and profit and the glory of their sponsor nations when a new generation of soldiers arrive top gladiator sata flynn is about to discover how feeling the light how fleeting the limelight can be from writer Ivan Brandon, who is responsible for Black Cloud and Drifter, and um, superstar artist uh, Esad Rubrich, uh, which is uh, artist from Secret Wars and Uncanny X-Force, um, in his creator-owned Image debut, uh, with painter colour by Nick Klein, painted colour by Nick Klein, Drifter and Viking, and uh, graphic design by Tom Muller. Versus delivers a spectacular action, darkly humorous satire, and explores our hunger for fame and our penchant for self-destruction. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, and I will be picking up issue one on Wednesday. We've also got the Swamp Thing Winter Special. <laughs> which I believe should have been out last week. But I think it got delayed. So it's on this week's pull list. Um, so we'll see if I manage to get that. Um, Infinity Countdown starts. Uh, Infinity Countdown with Adam Warlock. So this is going to be part of Marvel's big new Infinity event. They're doing something else to do with Infinity. I'm not quite sure what it is, but they've got this big comic event coming in. So I'll be looking forward to picking that up and starting to read that. And there's also the next trade paperback for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ongoing. So if you're following the trades, Trade 18 is out uh, on the 7th of February. And that wraps up my pull list. Leon, anything on your list? The net is vast and infinite. Yeah. I I, uh, I I just stick my finger into the uh, Ethernet port on my router, and it all comes to my mind. <laughs> and, the one uh, thing that I wanted to point out is um, how I I tend to look forward to the week after to pick out things for the interim period. Um, what we have been trying to do lately is be more robust with our Twitter feed um, and mentioning things that we're looking forward to on there. So if you are interested in hearing, you know, between issues, between episodes, uh, the things that we're keen to buy for the next new comic book day, or even on the morning of new comic book day, check our Twitter feed, which is at Ace Comicals, and we'll we'll have everything that we like up there. Yeah, we, I mean, this isn't by any means the full pull list. 
So mm. uh, usually we'll put the full pool list onto the Twitter feed or maybe even on the Instagram actually as well, because we do that with Instagram. Now we have a collage of the covers of everything we're looking forward to and uh, a list of books that we might buy. And that brings us to a close. So that has been Ace Comicals episode number 28. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find us uh, everywhere, pretty much. Um, if it, it, All social media, Instagram a, under Ace Comicals. Um, you can find us, uh, the hub for everything is our website, which is www.acecomicals.com. We're on WordPress, which is acecomicals.wordpress.com. Um we are on various different podcast apps or clients or uh, you can find us on iTunes under Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find us on Pocket Casts. You can find us on Stitcher. Uh, there's others that I always forget. Ray, where else can you find us? <laughs> uh, Overcast, TuneIn, Castro. Yes. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, if you have any questions to ask, you can uh, DM them to me on Twitter or you can DM them to the Ace Comicals Twitter or you can send them directly to acecomicals at gmail.com. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? Same on Twitter at, um, at Monke. Uh, so that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And also, if you want to join uh, me or any of us on Dragon Ball Fighters, we'll be on there as well. So... Um, we'll give links to that on our Twitter, individual Twitter feeds. And that's via Steam. Yes, so, I've got it on Steam. Yeah. yeah. Leon, where can we find you? You can find me um, at Leon Everett on Twitter and um, look out. I haven't got the date yet when it will be up, but um, I'll sh- sh- uh, be guesting on the anime podcast Dynamite in the Brain um, fairly soon. So once that's up, um, links will be going out on my Twitter which I should also mention I have done recently on an anime fighting game draft for those guys, which was, okay. uh, was what, pretty fun. What have you guys been discussing with Dynamite in the Brain in, individually? Oh, uh, for me, it was the uh, the anime fighting game draft, which is the most recent one I've done. But there's previous oh, right, episodes okay. where I've been on where I've done uh, discussions on Ghost in the Shell and things like that. Okay. Leon? Yeah, and the episode I'll be recording soon will be about the... Uh, anime Venus Wars. Cool. Okay. Yes. So uh, that has been Ace Comicals episode 28. Thanks for listening, guys. Ace Comicals, over and out.